Okay, everybody, it's Friday. First up, I'm going to do a solo dolo of the problems at Meta and Facebook. Talk a little bit about Amazon's earnings and how they might be able to turn all this around. Zuckerberg is, man, a disaster. There's no easy way to put it. Then Molly and I are joined by Lon Harris. We break down the uh, House of the Dragon final numbers. Warner, Brother, Warner Brothers Disney appointing James Gunn to take over the DC Universe. And Warner Brothers Discovery, General Zodzlov putting James Gunn in charge of DC and the ramifications of that. Plus a bunch of really great recommendations for your weekend watching. And uh, I, I dipped my toe into one of them and it was awesome. So really get these uh, recommendations towards the end of the show. Finally, we wrap with another awesome OK Boomer segment. It's a lot of show today and it's a great show today. So stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by... Open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team, right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Smash digital. Scaling organic traffic for your startup can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Visit smashdigital.com slash twist to get a free SEO video audit for your business. You'll see if SEO is right for you and what it takes to become an industry leader. And Calshi just launched an election forecasting challenge ahead of the national midterm elections on November 8th. Go to calshi.com slash EFC, fill out predictions for each race, and if you get a perfect score, you'll win $100,000. If no one gets them all right, then the best forecaster gets $25,000. Sign up and play at Kalshi.com slash EFC. All right, everybody, welcome to Friday's show. I'm going to go through some of the earnings reports and what's going on at Amazon and Meta and how that relates to startups and innovation. And after that, Lon Harris is with us. We're going to talk a lot about streaming and, and a lot of great recommendations. I got to be honest for this weekend's uh, viewing pleasure. First up, we've been talking about Facebook stock getting crushed, also known as the Meta Corporation. They've been down 25% after its earnings report. I covered it a little bit with Vinny and Sonny uh, in a quick reaction, a real time reaction yesterday on the crypto roundtable. But you know, looking at Meta's Q3, uh, the third quarter of this year, their CapEx uh, and this includes like payments on finance and leases and all this kind of stuff. It was 9.5 billion, which is the highest ever. Reality Labs had a 3.6 billion operating loss in Q3. And Meta said it anticipates significantly growing losses next year, a headcount up 28% year over year. And that is extraordinary 87,000 people, the market cap is 264 billion. It's down 71% year to date 76% off its high of 1 trillion in September of 2021. We've never seen anything like this in the tech industry just to pause for a second, they've lost the value of Tesla or they, they've now lost the value of, I don't know, 10 Airbnbs. This is extraordinary how much market cap has evaporated. Now, why is that important? Well, there are employees, and uh, it's not just about Mark's personal wealth, which will be fine, obviously. There are pension funds, there are all kinds of investors, endowments, people's retirements accounts, right, uh, that have Facebook exposure. And so watching this collapse, one has to wonder, uh, you know, what happens to all those people who lost money? And will he be able to retain this talent? So he keeps hiring people. But why would somebody work at a company that is in this amount of disarray. 
And you'd really have to be a true believer in this vision of VR and AR. Of course, we've had indications that nobody's using this stuff. And when I say nobody's using it, the employees at Facebook have been admonished in, in memos and online forums, it's come out. They're like, hey, please use this, this product. If you're not dog fooding your own product, this is a term in our industry, you got to eat your own uh, food, what you make, we call it dog fooding is pretty gross, right to eat dog food. Uh, but if the people who work at Meta who are building the metaverse, really don't have time and couldn't be bothered to even use the software and everybody you know, who bought a Meta Oculus headset, you know, did the, uh, you know, the try Oh, my and goodbye, as I call it, they tried it. They said, Oh, my this is incredible. And it is super interesting. Uh, when you try these things on and you have that VR experience for the first time. Uh, but then you say goodbye very quickly, it just it doesn't have the stickiness that your iPad, your PlayStation, your laptop, your iPhone, your Tesla, pick a gadget, your AirPods, your watch, you can see which devices and gadgets you've used in your life become uh, you know, permanent fixtures in your daily life, the VR headsets are not one. And I don't think there'll be one ever VR headsets. I do think AR glasses, very distinctly different, uh, where you can still see the reality around you, but maybe you augment the reality with pieces of data. I do think that's going to work. Unfortunately, I don't think Facebook's going to be the company that wins it. We've talked about this here for a long time. I think Apple actually is going to win that because you'll have a smartphone in your pocket, you'll have your AirPods, you'll have your watch. And then you'll put on a pair of glasses and there'll be some amount of compute audio coming from those other devices, uh, even uh, biometrics, just super interesting when you think about it, uh, what they're going to be able to know about you and your life. And you can just imagine if you were skiing, and your goggles or you were mountain biking, your goggles let you see the path ahead of you. This is the extreme example, because you need to keep your eyes on the road uh, when you're skiing, uh, or you're mountain biking, or even when you're driving. Can you imagine driving, skiing, or mountain biking, or just bicycling generally, and being able to get information about the world around you? And that could include, hey, you know, uh, a text message uh, from your spouse saying, hey, the kids are ready to be picked up or five minutes until the fish is, you know, hits 145 degrees internal temperature, these little notes could come up without forcing you to stop skiing or get off your mountain bike. Uh, and, and you know, these things, the things that make you when you look down at your phone, or you see somebody riding a bike through Manhattan, and they're on their phone, and you're like, Oh, that person's about to go over the hood of a car, those kind of moments are going to go away. Really interesting with AR. And I think some people have become enamored with this. The problem is when you've got a company that a lot of people are relying on, and you take a bet that is this crazy, like Zuckerberg is doing investors just might say, you know what, I'm not down for this, this should be a startup, this should be a spin out. But at the core of this is the governance issue in Silicon Valley. And for those of you who don't know, we started giving super voting shares it's, uh, Google was a big example. Uh, Shopify, Toby just got himself some super voting shares. What does it mean? It means your shares uh, typically have 10 or 20 to one voting. So if I own a million shares, I get 20 million votes. And you're a hedge fund, you own a million share, you get a million votes. The New York Times actually is known for this. So you can participate in owning Facebook or the New York Times, Shopify, uh, Google, but you may not have the ability to change management's mind about how the company is running because it's not one share, one vote. Companies with one share, one vote. Yeah, te uh, Tesla actually has that. And Elon has been pretty upfront actually at the uh, AI day. He said, AI is really important. Robotics is really important. If I do a bad job, I hope that you all vote to fire me. And if you don't trust me and what I'm doing in AI and I'm not a good steward of the safety, he's talking about the safety concerns around AI and robots. It's very important that the company 
that owns the robots and AI has a proper governance. And, and you can see here, Facebook is the now become the number one example of this governance issue. And I think it's going to have a major impact people coming and saying, I want super voting shares, I want to control my company. It, it's just not going to fly anymore after what Zuckerberg has done. And by the way, this is the second time Zuckerberg has changed the industry for the worse. He makes really poor decisions that are very selfish. He became very, very uh, skilled at stealing people's uh, innovations and incorporating them into his platform. We saw this over and over again with his behavior at Snap. He also was a terrible steward of people's data and sucking up a bunch of people's data. And we, and we saw this with the um, Cambridge Analytica leaks and, and other leaks and, and the election interference and Russians buying ads with rubles. And we see it today when people try to buy fake news ads on Facebook, they can still do it. Zuckerberg is not a good steward for society or for his shareholders. And now the chickens have come home to roost. People are giving up on the stock. And that is going to be perhaps, uh, it seems based on people's bet betting here. And when people have skin in the game, and they bet you kind of get to reality a little bit quicker. And now that there are other options, and the economy has corrected, and there's no free cash, because the Fed has raised interest rates, I think this is the beginning of the end for Facebook. And I don't know that anybody's been able to get through to Zuck. In fact, friend of the pod, Brad Gerstner wrote an open letter, you probably saw it, where he said, Hey, listen, here's a very easy path. Instead of spending 10 billion a year on this crazy VR AR future, how about 5 billion? And how about instead of, you know, spending 10 billion a year and doing this in five years, just do it in 10, take your time, what's the rush, and then keep working on the main business. I have never seen anybody do this in the history of Silicon Valley and and former Facebook employee in front of this pod Antonio Garcia Martinez, you know, he's pretty he's a he's one of the sharp knives in the draw. And Antonio tweets Meta's business has been kneecapped by Apple. He's referring to the fact that you can't target ads by phone anymore. I used to be able to do that anonymously. So if you were using different apps, you know, fitness apps, I could um, market to you calm or uh, some fitness program, a Peloton, etc. Second point Antonio makes growth has stopped in favor of rivals like TikTok. Okay, yeah, that's true. And it's too late to build a phone. He's referring to the project Chamath Polyhapatia, a bestie of mine, uh, was working on for a short period of time where they were thinking about since they didn't have Android or iOS, and usage was moving to mobile phones, building a phone, that would have been a much better idea, spend 10 billion on that, and just give people free phones or highly discounted phones and see if it works. Antonio sums it up, Zuck is making an ex existential bet the company move at enormous scale, most companies would just delude themselves and die slowly, or so and slowly die. So I agree with his framing of this, we all know TikTok is uh, a huge headwind, Apple huge headwind. And obviously, yeah, phone is Microsoft, the mighty Microsoft couldn't beat the combination of the duopoly of Android and iOS. So why would Zuck have any chance, which which does give you a little bit of a, a view into the future, like how on earth is Zuck going to beat Apple, or Google, or Microsoft, or all three of them, uh, or t at least two of them. And I just don't think it's going to happen. All right, everybody on the phone today is open phones founder Darina Kulia. Welcome to the program, Darina. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. What about the situation where you have, you know, a phone number that's a common number, so customer support number, or maybe you wanted people to just be able to call you and generally talk to the sales team? How do you handle that when you have a, a group number, a shared number? That's actually one of the super unique things about the way we've built OpenPhone is that we allow you to 
uh, to have a shared number for your team. First of all, when you call into that shared number, you can set round robin if, if that's applicable or by default, everyone's phone would ring. The first person to pick it up will be able to have a Ooh, call. I like that for customer support. Wow. Exactly, exactly. And also if, if I'm on a call with a customer, I don't want to be interrupted. There are other people who can, who can pick up new calls coming in. But I also really think what's very cool is that this workflow works as well for text messages. And not only can you just like share responsibility for responding to text, but you can also use this as a training exercise because the way that it works is that if I am a customer support rep, there is a text message from a customer. I don't know how to answer. I can actually tag my teammates privately on that conversation and uh. get help and say, hey, is this okay to say or how would you respond? Okay, everybody, Twist listeners can get 20% off any plan for their first six months at Open Phone. Just go to openphone.com slash twist. If you got an existing number, they'll put it right over for free. Head to openphone.com slash twist today for 20% off. What is the right thing to do here? I actually think this is a uh, really, really bad idea to bet the farm on virtual reality. I don't think it's a bad idea to have a virtual reality department, but to bet the farm is not a good idea. Uh, if you looked at Facebook, if you looked at Instagram, they did some very interesting commerce experience experiments. One of the commerce experiments was Facebook marketplace. If you're hearing my voice, you probably know somebody in your family, probably a boomer, maybe a Gen Xer. Uh, maybe not somebody living in a, in a, in a city, but maybe uh, they're living in a major city on the coast uh, who love, love uh, Facebook marketplace. It's kind of like Craigslist and eBay and uh, people really use it. Instagram started dabbling into commerce and supposedly TikTok is going to go all in on commerce and they kind of never finished that. And they also never shared revenue with creators in a meaningful way at the, the Facebook corporation. So those would have been much better projects to put a couple of billion dollars into, let alone 10 billion, and maybe building a super app, right? Why doesn't Facebook uh, and Instagram have really great payments involved? Why don't they buy Lyft? Or, oh, right, they can't buy stuff anymore because the government doesn't trust them and they're going to block them. But they could start building commerce experiences and payment experiences into their giant platform with billions of users, and that would throw off money. So all you have to do if you're Zuck, if you want the stock to go back up to two or 300 is to cut 20% of the employees, not a big deal, to be honest, the company probably functioned better, cut the uh, amount of spend by 20, 30, 40, 50% on the VR meta, and then get Sheryl Sandberg to come back and be CEO of the Facebook collection of assets. That's really what should happen. These should be two different units, just like uh, Susan Wojcicki runs YouTube. And, uh, you know, there are other people running Google and, and other products there. Just just split this up. Let Sheryl Sandberg come back. That would have been the power move. I said this for years, let her run that collection of assets, people trust her. She's an incredible operations person. She built two the two largest at scale online advertising networks, Google's and Facebook's. Just give it to her and let her keep making it a better product. Here's a chart. Meta's revenue growth has stalled. Its capex has skyrocketed, skyrocketed, and free cash flow. How much cash this thing's throwing off has fallen 98% year over year. Zuck changes the company's name to Meta in October of 2021, and everything goes downhill since then. And it's not just their stock price that's going down. Uh, if you look, their free cash flow went down. Now, this, of course, correlates with the market correction, right, October 21st. So it's, it's not just that the name of Facebook changed. In fairness, the market collapsed after this. Um, but capital expenditures, the blue line here, if you're watching, have skyrocketed, and their revenue has dipped, and free cash flow has just been crushed. Why put your money here when you can put it into Apple, Amazon or Google, other companies that seem to be taking things more seriously, or if you don't believe in this company, 
you can get muni bonds that are tax free four or five percent right now and uh yeah it's guaranteed and you don't have to deal with this agita you know your stomach uh flipping over over and over so anyway um this is going to be a disaster i almost feel like this is such a disaster i'm gonna make a prediction here that i think i think zuckerberg cannot ignore it i think this is now existential i might put a j trade in at facebook you know at 90 95 100 i i do think that this business can print money and somebody's going to come in here and, and get through to him and, and, and actually i don't know if it's somebody's going to get through to him i think the stock price and losing employees is going to get through to him all right amazon was down 10 percent after in after hours trading after just slightly missing on revenue and profits and uh, aws's growth has slowed down so cloud computing is slowing down we saw that with microsoft total revenue for amazon was 127.1 billion up 15 percent year over year five percent quarter over quarter so it's, it's healthy growth uh, it's not nothing and uh it's nice growth on a big number but you know people are comparing this to previous quarters uh and the the last 12 months net income 2.9 billion that's down 10 percent year over year it's way up quarter over quarter as amazon lost 2 billion on a net basis last quarter aws revenue is the driver here they were up 27 percent year over year a four percent quarter over quarter they slightly missed expectations you saw microsoft's azure all of these assets i think are going to miss and they're going to slow down why everybody who's running um, a business in the cloud is looking at their expenses and just going to their developers and saying, Hey, we're spending a million dollars a month on our cloud, get it down to 800, optimize it, turn off servers, you know, clean things up. Because in a down market, the best way to make money is to cut expenses, you may have a hard time growing your revenue. So how do you grow uh, your earnings, right? Your profits, you can't grow your profits by growing the top line because consumers aren't spending money or businesses aren't spending money. That's the headwinds. So what do you do? You cut expense. I've been looking at this myself, just going through our expenses saying, Hey, what can we cut now? And employees sadly are part of that. But it's also a healthy part of this. And, and this is why the boom bust cycle in economies is actually a good thing, because you flush out inefficiencies and the inefficiency could be a person on your team, you know, you got somebody at the office who just doesn't work hard. And you're like, why are they here? Why are they wasting money? You know, and, and that person should get cut. They're just not a good team member. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about like, as a human, should they lose their job and suffer and get unemployment? I'm just talking about they're not a high performer. They, they shouldn't be at the company. It's a drag for everybody. Well, in an up market, growth will, you know, make management be lazy and they won't cut low performers. Now low performers are going to get cut. Uh, SaaS software that people aren't using is going to get cut. Marketing that's not working is going to get cut office space that's not being utilized is not going to get renewed or people are going to get consolidated when somebody says hey i want a bigger office they're going to say yeah you can go office suite <laughs> no way and all those conversations are happening inside big companies and of course amazon's going to face those headwinds in their cloud computing they're also giving um lower than expected guidance for q4 which is their big quarter net sales they think will be 140 to 148 billion that'd be two to eight percent growth year over year here's the old sankey chart uh as you can see they have a lot of businesses at amazon it's one of the nice things uh they have physical stores now they have third-party sellers they have online stores supposedly the third-party sellers are having their inventory and how much inventory they'll hold for hold for a third-party seller that is being reduced i guess so that uh, amazon is more efficient we're going to talk about that on all in today i think friedberg had pointed that out to us um so listen to all in 102 they have subscriptions right they got audible and all that kind of stuff they have advertising on twitch and amazon is in just an amazing um, ad network with $20 billion. And of course, AWS just absolutely crushing it. 
So there's just lots of money sloshing around uh, and, a, and a lot of diversification of revenue that you don't see at a face like at a Facebook. Uh, and this is why Amazon is such a great company with the multiple pillars uh, in there. And Apple crushed it, their stocks up, <laughs> people are still buying phones. Uh, so congratulations to Apple. Uh, all right, next up lot. I'll, I'll go into it next week. We don't have a little time today. I can't do a three hour show. But uh, next up, our friend Lon Harris, twitter.com slash LONS inside.com slash streaming newsletter. He's going to talk all things streaming and he's got some great recommendations. And uh, one of the recommendations he has I, uh, you know, between taping his recommendations, uh, the peripheral great recommendation. I watched the first episode and I was I was all in on this William Gibson. So enjoy this week in streaming with Mon Harris and Molly Wood. One of the things you want to know before you invest in a company, which is what I do, is how good is their SEO, their search engine optimization? Why? Well, because when people are looking for your product, where are they going to go? They're going to Google you, they're going to Bing you. And if a startup understands search engine optimization, well, that means they understand one of the foundational ways in which traffic gets to your website. Some people now, they just overlook the fundamentals of SEO, and you need to get those right early. So let me tell you about Smash Digital. They are hyper-focused on SEO, and they specialize in high-end link building. This isn't a generic digital marketing agency. No, it's not Facebook ads and all that stuff, which is transient. No, they just focus Focus on world-class SEO. You understand, of course, that if you're going to hire an in-house SEO person, that's going to cost you like 100 dimes a year. It's literally going to be $100,000. And then you're still going to need a budget to build content and to get people to link back to you. However, Smash is affordable. They understand what you're going through. They want to be your partner for the long term. And so they're going to charge you as little as $3,500 a month for their service. You're going to learn a ton. They're going to be a great partner for you. And for a limited time, Smash is offering a free video review for Twist listeners at smashdigital.com slash twist. That's right. A free personalized video audit of your startup's SEO and Smash will map out the exact next steps for you to take to outrank your competitors. Again, it's free. Go to smashdigital.com slash twist. All right, everybody, welcome to Friday. It's time for This Week in Streaming. Why is This Week in, this week in Streaming, Molly, moving from Thursday to Friday? Jenga. Let me tell a little air traffic control issue. We started this next unicorn series. Everybody loves it. You've been doing a great job on it. Uh, we're really finding interesting companies. But for some reason, I put those on Wednesdays. Wednesdays, of course, we have this great crypto roundtable every other week. Well, that got moved to Thursday, and that means Thursdays now moved to Friday. Anyway, all that matters is Lon Harris is here with us. Tell us what's going on in streaming news. Yeah, yeah, that's well, the most important thing. Welcome, Lon. You know, Friday Thanks. feels fine for a streaming show anyway. I, for it's like streaming, it's, it's actually like Friday's the, the new week. streaming day, you know? You it, can it, set it us fits. up for like the, right, like what's dropping Friday, Saturday, it's Sunday. Sort of, yeah, It sort it's of fits in a weird way, yeah. Making it work. We're making it work. I, I am uh, absolutely enthralled with House of the Dragon. And my Go wife over. loves it too. Was that Just the last episode? Season one. Oh, I thought we got done. one more. No, where we God wrap this dang week. It. This this Sunday was the. I mean, you could you couldn't tell with Rayana Targaryen, Rhaenyra Targaryen receiving that that word from from uh, Damon yes. at the fireplace, and then turning around and we zoom in on her face, and we know that look from a Targaryen means uh, all hell's about to break. Yeah, Dracarys is uh, that upon was, us. Uh, that was, by the way, uh, I was reading about this. Uh, that was Matt Smith's stage blocking suggestion. He was like, Damon comes in, he pulls her aside, they go to the fireplace, and then she spins around the camera. That's where we close. He kind of put that yes. final sequence together. Brilliant, right. brilliant stuff. 
well, I don't, I don't want to get too yeah, much into it. I just want to say that this is uh, as good, or to me, uh, probably better than an average season of Game of Thrones. I don't know where you put it. If you were to rank the Game of Thrones seasons, yeah. now, where I would mean, this I one definitely, rank? Definitely the, I think most of us were afraid, is this show going to shake off the, the curse of those last few seasons of Thrones where it felt kind of aimless a little rudderless a little bit like it was rushing to the climax without knowing where it was going and i think this lays all of those concerns to rest i think this is easily on the level of the first six seasons of thrones amazing if, if not better and and i'll tell you one thing i really loved about it is other than the the drag obviously there are dragons in this world so it's not it's not exactly a realistic historical world other than the dragons if you take that element out they are really leaning into the politics, the negotiation, the palace intrigue. It's not a lot of God stuff. It's not a lot of prophecy stuff. It's not a lot of magic. It's really not very much about the fantasy. It's much more about the political stuff. That's kind of interesting. Like, and if you more, if you think of the yeah. dragons as just a metaphor for like a really big nuclear arsenal or weapons, exactly. like it, it's it's just it's a cool government story. Do you think that the that time is how they're treating it? Yeah worked because then that now there are questions i've seen you know people are sort of saying well either the back half of this season shows that the the fast forwarding totally worked or it shows that they should have just started there in the first place maybe because that's when it all like really picked up i'll tell you from my perspective i think uh i loved the the rhaenyra targaryen allison hightower storyline and i think it worked brilliantly and i think olivia cook and emma darcy both absolutely killed it. They're tremendous performances in the second half of that season to bring us up to date with those characters and make us believe these are the same people and it feels coherent. Uh, I do feel like I got a little mixed up with all the children. There's a lot of these children. I'll tell you one other thing, not to get too much on a tangent. Before this season started, there was a lot of concern about the uh, the Valerian family you know, not black in the books, and they cast these black actors, and people were like, oh, is this going to be another one of these racial whatever? Not only does that not bother me at all, I think, like, you know, diversify the cast, but it works great because it helps you tell everybody apart. Imagine if all of those characters were Aryan-looking blonde kids, how much harder, at least this Forget way, it. that that's family funny. and that family are visually distinct. I could be like, well, that's obviously a Valerian, and that's obviously a Targaryen. But, um, yeah, that, that gets a little messy. It's a little hard to tell your Aegons and your Aemons from your Balas and your Rainas and your Lanas and your Lanors. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> I thought the time stuff worked really well and it didn't, it didn't mm -hmm. bug. That's hilarious. Well, well, it was a win. It was a massive win, like audience-wise. I think we have to talk about how this is dovetailing with the TikTok issues because at this point... I'm not sure that this show can survive a Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco, <laughs> with Prosecco in it. With oh, Prosecco stunning. In it. stunning. Yeah. Stunning. <laughs> What's I'm having a hard time watching the latest episode because I keep seeing her saying a Negroni Spagliato. You don't, with Prosecco you don't actually need to say, I looked this up. You don't need to say with Prosecco. Most Negro, uh, Negroni Spagliato just means a Negroni, but instead of gin, it's made with sparkling white wine. But yes. because the gin is so overpower, or because the Campari is so overpowering anyway, it wouldn't make sense to use an expensive, fancy champagne. You might as well 
use just use a Prosecco. So most bartenders are just going to use Prosecco anyway if you order a Negroni Spagliato. I'm just thinking. I love the internet age is all I'm saying. Like, all I'm saying (laughs) is that this this is the natural progression of conversation. And it's amazing. The point here is it's a win. She is iconic. And this is an iconic exchange. Yeah. And I just, you know, people have to think of the ramifications of the media they create. With, Ga- with Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, there are people with PTSD about various things that have occurred in their life. And you really need to think about that. And when it comes to this TikTok exchange, we now need to think about the PTSD that bartenders everywhere, cocktail <laughs> servers, waitresses, <laughs> waiters. Road is not that hard to make. That's a, they it's might not like, the they issue. Might not that it's hard only to make. It's not the issue. But you worked in service, I'm sure, at some point, Lon. At not video food service. Store. I worked in retail a long time, okay. but never, yeah, I was okay. never working like a behind a bar. All right. Now imagine you work in retail and somebody comes in and says, I want a sweater. That's cashmere. That's a medium. And like literally the okay. 50th person a day comes in and they right. expect you to say stunning. So, <laughs> so now you just have a legion of bartenders and wait staff that now have to deal with this. And, and really, this is going to create a level of PTSD across the, the food service cocktail industry. That's going to be years, years yeah, of this nonsense. Is, I mean, the, along these lines, it's the, it's the viral TikToks that, that ruin Starbucks. All the baristas hate that, you know, because people are always giving their 30 ingredient recipes for like, go into yeah, Starbucks I mean, and get like a pink unicorn frap. It's the strawberry and this thing and this thing and this thing. And you take this out and this kind of milk. And yeah. And if you pull this BS, Molly, anybody pulls this BS, you better be given a 100% tip. You want to you want to play the Spagliato game with your weight server, yeah, I mean, and it's you got forty dollars worth of cocktails. I expect to see at least minimum seventy dollars total, at least a thirty dollars tip it's on the just, forty. It's just Prosecco, Campari, and Vermouth. I I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, I think That's you can get all this, of all things that right of all the things that could be ruining a bartender's life. I don't think like the re- like the return of the lemon drop. This is not that bad. I mean, I'll you have a lemon cello. The thing to avoid is you don't want to order the drink. It's delightful. Yeah, you don't want to order the drink they don't know how to make. That's the that's the one thing. I just it's I know they're trying to do call and response with their waiter, and you know these idiots are taking their phone out and then videotaping I mean, the bartender they while are. they do it and giggling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's enough, be, people. It's enough. I would watch I would watch an entire like counter programming series on TikTok and Instagram that's just like people in restaurants talking about influencers and how influencers are ruining everything. I mean, everything. Like, have you ever been at a restaurant? When like a gaggle of influencers comes in and there's sure. like, there's I've just the one gaggle. who's the ringleader and then she brought all the friends. <laughs> yeah. And then why does like, it have to oh, be a she, Molly? Instagram. Why does it have to be a she? <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm not saying I'm thinking of one in particular. Yeah. Uh, my favorite talk. I'll tell joint. you when you know this gets really bad. I'm just saying step away from the case of media. We know it's a thing. There's, I just don't Angeles, want- there's entire restaurants that exist only because of like that, like that guy Salt Bay has his own steakhouse here just because Great. of the Just so people can make the stupid thing with him place. running the salt so down his can, greasy, dirty can, arm. Yeah, it's dis- disgusting. It's absolutely honestly. disgusting. <laughs> and I, I, I was in downtown you know LA by- about, right, Molly? Salt Bay, the guy? Of course we know puts, I do not. Guy, and it, he, he takes salt and he drops it from his hand like this. And he's he, got a steakhouse. It, it rolls so down his arm. 
he elaborately like slices your meat and then he drizzles steak on it, but he does it over his forearm. So the steak there, this guy, this guy. Yeah, and he's wearing a dirty white t-shirt. Are you kidding me? I don't think I've ever hated anybody more than I hate this guy. He's the worst. It's it's like thousands of dollars to go eat at his steakhouse. So he, and he puts, he's one of these like gold foil guys too. So you get the steak. They take a steak and they wrap it in gold leaf and you're like, okay, gold leaf has no flavor. I so dumb. Am enraged right now. It's a, and the it's only a word mistake. that comes to mind is one I just do not want to say. Yeah, it's just gross. Anyway, uh, I just I'm just putting fair warning out here. It. I will say the most Damn, annoying thing. It. The most annoying thing is the wingman or the wing woman. I don't know what you call a wing wingman. That's female. But these wing individuals who, when the person is taking their picture, decide you know what their job is. To all of a sudden they're like the lighting grips and they take yeah. out their three phones. They put on their or they take out a ring light. I saw a woman going into a, a restaurant the other day, and she sure. had her friend. It was a hotel, and they were coming in out of the hotel through the lobby, and their friend was holding the ring light. And yeah. I'm like, "What is going on here?" You're on the go. You got to have your ring light with you. Enough. I'm telling enough. you this. All like right. literally, the TikToker who starts stalking influencers and just showing how obnoxious they are behind the scenes. That is the TikTok that I will watch. I all want day, an influencer ban. Uh, an influencer ban. There should be a there should be a sign. You remember they had the no hipster rule. That would be there amazing. Needs, it needs to be a sign. No influencer, no influencers yeah. on this. I'm opening a restaurant just to ban influencers. It's going to be called No Influencer Steakhouse. You, it's going to be amazing steaks. <laughs> They're very Instagrammable. They're very TikTokable, but you're not allowed to TikTok or Instagram them. Uh, all right, Love we're going to play this one time, people. If you missed this trend for this for the four people who missed the trend, here it is, first and last time. What's your drink of choice? A Negroni. I was going to say the same thing. Magliato. Mmm. With Prosecco in it. Oh, stunning. Yeah. And now, (laughs) just to break this down. It's good. There's a couple of things that make this so perfect. I don't know if they, I need to understand if they practiced this and it was on purpose. But the fact that she is going to tell you her drink and you cannot interrupt her is what makes this charming. She's barreling (laughs) through with the description of this and the other person's trying to Oh, 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 and then she leans in to deliver with Prosecco <laughs> in it, and she drops down to another octave. And mm-hmm. this is where why actors are extremely annoying to have as friends is because you try That's to have true. a normal conversation <laughs> with them, and it's like, hey, what did you do last night? I went to the gym to lift kettlebells with my mate, and you're just like, can you just talk normal? <laughs> you're like, can you just? Can it's you not just. that dramatic. You went, you lifted a kettlebell. She went to CrossFit. They're making it a story. It's enough. It's enough. All right. You've heard me talk about Kalshi before. K-A-L-S-H-I. I I want you to remember this name. It's a regulated exchange that offers financial prediction markets on everyday events. So you can trade on things like, hey, what's going to be next month's CPI? or whether certain legislation will pass, maybe what global temperatures will look like at the end of the year, and more. But now, Kalshi has an awesome new contest. They just launched an election forecasting challenge ahead of the national midterm elections, which are taking place on November 8th. Basically, they're looking to find the best election forecaster in the country. Here's how you join. Go to kalshi.com slash EFC, election forecasting challenge, EFC. Fill out predictions for each congressional race it's like March Madness, but for voting. If you get a perfect election call, you win $100,000. Are you following the polls? 
you can change your submission right up to the day before the election. If no one gets them all right, then the best forecaster gets $25,000. This is like crowdsourced predictive market right here. Super interesting. The contest is free. All you need is an email to play. The entire Twist team is on Calshi now, and we are going to be talking about our bets during these ad reads. When you hear me talk about Calshi, you want to listen and hear our bets. I want you to sign up and play at Calshi.com slash EFC. Calshi.com, K-A-L-S-H-I.com slash EFC. I do like this, uh, by the way, Molly, uh, this, this went by pretty quick, but I do like the analogy of the dragons or nukes. This is something that I never right, considered. Right. Is that, that just came to me. It feels right. Well, it feels it so feels right. right. And also the way they talk about it, like if we remember in Game of Thrones, only the target, only Daenerys has dragons. They're 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 gone for the rest of the world. And the way everyone else, it gives its absolute power. She could basically do mm -hmm. whatever she wanted. We saw what happens to King's Landing if they defy yeah. her because she's the only one. But now in this show, there's there's multiple houses with dragons, and so they have to. They're a consideration, but it's more like a piece on the board. We can't just go do whatever we want. Well, they have. Well, they have dragons too. It's like, well, we have bigger dragons. I was like, well, but you know, and now, now you're now it's gamesmanship, just like in reality. It's, so I mean, I it's think just that's like bad. Ukraine. We're like, what do we do with Putin? Right. It's like, well, he has nukes. Stunning, right? Uh, it's, a, it's it's not just a. It's not one. You know, it's not one sided. Now it's like you know we have to think about a balance of power in a world where multiple houses can control dragons. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I like the fact also that nobody remembers. In both cases, they're like, nobody remembers dragons in Game of Thrones. And in this, nobody, they know how to ride dragons and they have the illusion of control over the dragons. But nobody right. actually knows when dragons fight each other, what's going to go down. Like, right. it feels like it's dangerous and out of control. And I, I kind of like that aspect too, almost like nukes, where it's like, well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen if we drop these things. We think we have uh, control yeah, over another, this, but we do not. Another yeah. the illusion of control parallel with game of thrones because in that one daenerys she's the mother of dragons they have this very tight bond that was the only relationship we saw and she really does have sort of ultimate power we just kind of assumed that's how the relationship worked but now if you go back and see how it used to be when dragons were still wild and in the world it was like okay you're sort of it's a collaborative relationship but it's well, not mastery it's like they they have minds of their own still and in the books which I know no one remembers and will never have to remember because they will never get finished. But by the end of the fifth book, she has lost control of the dragons. Like, remember, she's basically right. going back to try to learn the ways of the horse riding, like her, the original the husband. Yeah. The Dothraki, well, one of them, right. So right, one of because them, like, the Dothraki, takes she has this, like, yeah. realization that, like, oh, yeah, one of the dragons takes off. And then she's yeah. like, oh, I have to rebuild this relationship. And she's going to go to exactly. the Dothraki because they have that symbiotic right. relationship with the horses. She's like, maybe they can teach me how to mm. rebuild this relationship with the dragon. Yeah. She's like not in control. It doesn't, right, again, like, it doesn't I, matter because yeah. the books are never getting done. But that was a thing. Deep pull there, Molly. Well this done. week, he's mostly Thank done you. with the next one. So I read all the books, guests. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I'm too, I'm chicken for the show. But I read all well, the anyways. books. Anyways, <laughs> uh, also stunning. Stunning, stunning is stunning, stunning is the number of uh viewers this thing got 29 yeah. million average viewers it was doing in great the US. yeah just stunning big, um, big hit for them they they need it too i mean they really need franchises over there and it was well, up against this is kind of mind-blowing nine million people watched that season finale and it was up against sunday night football mm -hmm. which usually always wins right i mean like 
It's either, <laughs> I mean, football and the American League Championship between the Yankees and Astros. And it okay. still pulled in 9 million viewers. All right. Who owns HBO? Lon, who owns HBO? H- well, it's part of, it's WBD. Warner Brothers, Correct. it's your boy. Correct. General Zoslov, another <laughs> win for says, the general. Yeah. Zoslov yeah, has won again. Big, the two big, new week, for, big week for David Zaslav. Uh, That's what I'm getting at. Also got another his another uh, DC in film his job. Yes, and I took the girls to see Black Adam on Friday. I am not uh, a rock guy. Not my thing. I loved it. Why did I love it? It was playful. It was fun. It had a great pace. I like all the characters around. I love the Hawkman. I uh, like the other guy who's like the Doctor Strange in this uh, world. It's uh, Doctor Fate. I'm a big fan of Doctor Fate going way back. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan. Is it fake? Is F-K- fate. What, wait. F- fate. Like fake F-A-T-E. as. T-E. Oh, fake. F-A-T-E. Doctor Fate. I love Pierce Brosnan as Doctor Fate more yeah. than I love Doctor Strange, which is one of my He's favorite characters of all DC. time. He's very much the DC Universe's version of a Doctor Strange. A little bit with a little Moon Knight because he's got the ancient yes. Egypt mythology going on. But just to put a pin in it, this, my daughters loved it. I went to the nice theater, the Airter, where you can order the food. Molly and I talked about it earlier this week. Huge hit. Obviously, big spoiler in the stinger. But uh, this is a, another gigantic win for General Zodzlov this week. And then a this third was one this, coming That's up. the final film of the sort of the prior era. The, that's the sunsetting mm-hmm. on the Hamada era. And we're now going to get the the gun era. James Gunn, Peter Safra, and the new the new DC Studios chiefs we saw this week. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not going to see any more brown people in the movies going forward. I'm sorry. Well, no, that was but, the but last cast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Just know. Saying, James Gunn. all Henry Cavill from now on. <laughs> uh I mean, one, one fascinating thing about this is I they they're leaving. So Gunn's going to come in and he's the new Feige. They're going to he's going to oversee DC Studios, but they're leaving Joker 2 and Bat the Batman under Warner Brothers. So they are going to basically do what I was pitching last time. They're going to keep kinds of these these independent franchises siloed and then they're going to let Gunn make his own DC verse now, whatever it may be. So the triverse so we are, is strong. We're keeping the triverse strong. Yeah, I mean the Warner Brothers Studios is going to continue to oversee the Matt Reeves Batman series and the Todd Phillips Joker series, and then Got James it. Gunn's going to make whatever the James Gunn series is. So love it. There you get. There you mm. have it. All right. So and I Good. guess you Triverse, couldn't close yay. the negotiations. They didn't meet your demands. So Gunn, <laughs> yeah, did, Gunn didn't gets the nod. After Lon walks away, you James walked away. Gunn is a very, I think James Gunn makes a lot of sense. A very, a very, a very sensible choice. I think you're that. so gracious, Lon. You're so gracious. Well, uh, yeah, Zodzlov finally got seems to have uh, met his match in in supervillains because my new favorite villain in the streaming universe, Bob Chapek, mm. delivering today. <laughs> delivering this week with enraging the fans it was wednesday i think he made some live some comments at uh wall yeah. street journal live i was yeah. like oh i cannot wait to hear chapek step in it because if there's anything we're learning about this guy right there are you know clearly there are divisions in opinions about his leadership uh, but what they seem to be based on is the fact that he just puts his foot in his mouth every chance he gets and so he went <laughs> to this event and while discussing disney plus said quote our fans and audiences put their kids to bed at night after watching Pinocchio, Dumbo, or Little Mermaid, then they're probably not going to tune into another animated movie. They want something for them. 
And that led the internet to go absolutely insane about how he's anti-animation. Jason's just making this face white right now. Uh, by the way, if you're not watching the video, not... it's like, what? Like, oh, okay, really so when I, when I, well, no, when I saw it go by on Twitter, I thought he said adults like don't like entertainment. When I read it here, yeah, I agree. No, um, yeah, he's, I'm happy he's to watch like, Little Mermaid, but I would like something yeah. more adult after it. Yes, mm-hmm. I reasonable. Think the overall point he's making is undeniably correct, which is you need these services to have a diversity of content, even if you add everything, every big animated movie that kids and families wanted to watch. You'd want to also have some counter programming for for people who are into other you know procedurals or sitcoms or sports or whatever. I think we all agree with that. I think it's just the oh, yeah. way he said it. Yep. Out of context, it makes it sound like he's saying adults wouldn't want to just sit down and watch a Pixar or Sleeping Beauty or animation. And obviously, adults love animation. And there are Disney adults who love Disney animation. And, and that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I, you know, I, the I, idea, I do think you have to kind of take it out of context. To, you do. But the idea and everybody did, to be clear, right? Every yes, headline. Yes. All well, over Twitter, the place that's all like, they do. That's the, Because the idea of the account. Disney CEO casting even a tiniest version, even something that appears to be a glancing blow on animation is so uh, beyond the pale but but what i think yeah. is so interesting about chapek and zadzlav both is that they by the way i'm like never gonna remember his real name like god forbid i ever have to interview Zaz. the guy i mean i know i'm just gonna i could yeah. imagine a scenario in which i'm like that'd be oh, great mr zadzlav great to meet you but like they the two the two of them together seem to have a really fundamental misunderstanding of fandom like fandom is a precious jewel of loyalty and love that you do have to do service to like you have to protect that you cannot be the ceo of disney and suggest that your disney super fans as adults might not want animation like you can't do that they're just yeah they're they're not they're not showmen i mean i think that in some ways that's why gun is a good hire for dc because he's not just a a guy who's got good instincts about the characters but he's like an entertainment guy. Like he's funny and like he knows how to go up on stage. Yeah, like he would like to watch two animated movies back to back. He would. Yeah. 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 When when you're when you're when they're they're when they're talking about their new slate at Comic Con, he's the guy you want to send up on stage to get excited about Shazam. And and I think that that's not Chapek. That's not that's not Zaslav. They're they're suits. You know, they're being like they're that's what yeah. that's what Wall Street wants them to be. That's why they have their jobs. They're there to be the bean counters, but, you know, like, we can't expect them to get up on stage and be like, you know, hey, kids, Pirates Listen, of the Caribbean Iger, 5. Iger had more panache, right? Iger yeah, shows Iger up in a nice a suit, at shakes hands better, divide, yeah, better at sure. shaking hands. That's uh, what I'm just, you have to bridge it. Fandom is your engine. Like, I it, mean, is, like, the, it I mean, is the yeah. core of magma at the heart of your planet. And if you, you know... I I just think that you blow them off at your peril and you do have like you're only where you are with the Wall Street suits because you have this sort of yeah. core of people and who will pay whatever I, I you respect freaking Bob tell Chapek. them to pay at Disney. And I respect is it Bob Chapek and or is it Chapek? Is it Chapek? I think it's Chapek. I think, Chapek? It is. I think that guy in the comments is right that it's, that it's Chapek. Right, I, I'd say Chapek. I think, so. I think it is Chapek. Uh, okay. 
But I think Disney CEO is sort of a story like he's because Michael Eisner, too, was like, yes, maybe not. great smile, maybe, big, tall, right. big suit, great hair, his business decisions. But I think he was a guy you could literally put on TV to host the did the Walt Disney presents. Gonna shake your hand and smile. Yeah. Shake your yeah. hand. Smile and he's like, hey, and make I'm here on great. Main Street USA with Donald. And here's the cartoon this week. And like, you need that guy to be Disney CEO. And I don't think that's Bob Chapek. I just I, don't here's think what I like about Bob Chapek. It's very important that people understand this. He's he absolutely holds in contempt the adults who will not grow up and who come to Disneyland as adults alone without kids and dress as characters. He's appalled. He wishes they I mean he understands that they're seven percent of the <laughs> He's revenue. In the wrong job. But no, he yeah. won't say it. But just like the rest of us, you we all have friends who are adults who go to Disneyland like more than five times per year. They dress as characters. They're there on a Tuesday. They're taking pictures. They're going I on love the same my ride. Disney adult friends. I've been full support of my Disney adult friends. No, you're not. I have some too. I have some too. I'm sorry. Are you I wonderful? Yeah, like watch it. Careful. Would you? Would you invite them over for Thanksgiving? <laughs> yes, sure. You would, of course. knowing I that would... they're going to bring a cake that's like a Disney character. I would maybe really? not go to a Disney park with them, but I would invite okay. them over for a non-Disney activity. They're the only yeah. ones to go to the Disney park Precisely. with because they know all the secrets and they know where you can like where the one bar is. And like, you know what? That's charming. It's charming once. It's charming once. And then you go to Disney with them for day two and you know all the stuff. And then they start repeating themselves. And then they're the long tail of Disney knowledge becomes completely inane and unimportant and they become insufferable. It can and be a little intense. It can be a little intense. It's a little it's a too lot. intense. It's a lot, but I feel like you just, you're not a geek, maybe. Listen, I love Haven't the you stock. you a geek about anything? I love the stock. I love the deal making. I love the revenue. I love it all. <laughs> but the these people. Back. You, Chapek. These, I'm, I'm in line with, I would, trust me, I will take pictures with those people. I'll tell them they're amazing. I'll tell them like they're the spirit of Disney and then I'll walk away and I'll just lean over to like my entourage from the Disney executives. I'll be like, freaks. <laughs> These people are strange. They're they're sick, sick people. You're they should suit. be in the DSM four. There should be a specific oh, like there's like bipolar. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Reel it in, reel it in. See, now I sit here and I say you don't understand fandom, and understanding fandom is the key to keeping your loyal freaking core of the universe. And what does Jason do? He's like, Oh yeah, no, I hate them. These Bro. people are freaks. <laughs> yeah, like, Come listen. on. Come on, man. You just said it yourself. You said you would have them over for non-Disney activities. Because I, it does, I I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what it is. I love rides. I'm, if if it was, if going to Disney was just like, let's go on these eight rides. Yes. I'm in. I think rides are super Perfect. fun. I, as an adult, very much enjoy a ride. Where I where it falls apart for me is like the role play stuff. The like, hey, this college student is dressed like Chip and Dale. Like, go take a picture with them, or like. That's supposed to be Jack Sparrow. Like, go talk to him like he's Jack Sparrow. It's That's like, the issue. I'm, you nailed it. That's the man. issue. They're That's too involved. This is where that, it gets super weird, Molly. This is where it gets super weird. I mean, look, they want the to be involved I with the know. characters. I agree. I think it's weird. Yeah, that's. The I'm part with. I don't I'm get. like weirdly with you, but at the same time. That is who keeps, if you are a Disney or you're a oh, Warner or you're making Marvel movies or whatever, that's who keeps your engine turning. Yeah. And so, if like, you're selling $5,000 Star Wars hotel rooms, you have to sell it to people who want to, like, be in right, Star fine. Wars. Like, and a, you cannot no. make them think that you think they're freaks. Like, if you right. do that, yeah. you are never going to yeah. be able to get them to pay 
I mean, Disney just jacked, jacked up prices again. Who do you think is paying that? Somebody with four kids? No. That's that's the part that's amazing to me is that Chapek strategy is all built around luxury, high-end, very costly experiences for very rich people. It's like, well, those are, who do you think those rich people are? Parents of five kids? No. Nope. Single Disney adults without kids. That's who can afford to pay for $10,000 Star Wars hotel experiences. You need to lock, exactly. these people need to be locked up. If you go to it's Disney more than five times a year without a child. Oh, come that's, on. It should be like, that. I don't, I'm not saying it's a felony. They're not But it's, it should anybody. be a misdemeanor if you I come mean, a sixth time. if you time. want to get rid of those people and lock them up, then you better dump the stock first. <laughs> I will that's say, all I'm saying. one good They're thing has come from these people. I, I'll say it, I, I also had on. some of these people oh. in my life. And the only thing productive that ever came out of this was the Monte Cristo sandwich. You and I have had it, Lon. Mm, this is a battered a and Monte fried Cristo turkeys, sandwich. ham, and Swiss sandwich How with a little bit that? of fruit on the side, and they give you some yeah, preserves. You, you, it's like you, you, you fry it like French toast, and then you put like strawberry preserve on top Unbelievable. of it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's an amazing sandwich, but how do we get here? Well, that's the Blue Bayou. And what I'm saying is, yeah. I, I don't even know there's a Blue Bayou restaurant. I think you go to yeah. Disney. I, I eat before I come. I bring it's a power bar with me. It's in the Caribbean queue. Yes. It's where the boats take off for Pirates of the Caribbean. And there's all those people sitting. And it looks like you're outside in the bayou in Louisiana or wherever. The that's best. the Blue that's, Bayou. You have to make a reservation. It's a 2000, that's a place to get into. Yeah, it's a 2,000 calorie sandwich. I would go. I'm not eating chicken fingers. I'm not eating a drumstick, a turkey deep fried drumstick. Oh, I But I would right literally go. I would literally go to Blue Bayou. I would go to Disney to go to the Blue Bayou restaurant, right? Yeah. They, they used I to like also have a beeline for big the drumstick. Yeah. By Big Thunder, they used to have the Big Thunder barbecue. It's got long gone now, but they used to have this like barbecue pit by the Big Thunder Railroad on the other side where they, it was really good too. But it's gone now. You can and also get the a dole whip. by the way. Then you got to go to that stupid, that crazy get, yeah. old, the dole whip one. And then they got the that tiki weird, room. like the tiki right room. Exactly. The tiki room experience is just. Nope. I get Amazing. the uh, you know what I get the mint I get the mint I, get, I like getting the mint julep or the Louisiana lemonade they have like very nice beverages along with your two thousand calorie sandwich you and I like that two thousand no I like the two thousand calorie sandwich because you're gonna walk for five hours right so you can be walking around for five hours you're gonna burn it, it up. Is, right. anything else in streaming news I listen everybody's overreacting no sane adult <laughs> wants to watch two animated films back to back don't say it next time Bob the only thing you're not wrong for he thinking also, it Bob you're wrong for saying it. Exactly. He also said he was open to R-rated content, oh. Oh, given the yeah. elasticity of the consumer base. So back to back, like first he's like, ah, I know you just want to watch some porn. And no, no, that's a mistake. <laughs> but he said, quote, we probably ought to listen no. to our audience, which means we have more degrees of freedom than we probably thought. So you see this yeah. drift. This is drift from the core mission and you've got Disney and you've got him into mistake. getting sports betting with the ESPN. Really They're the... probably going to be a match fixing. Like he doesn't get the brand. It's the ESPN, Hulu, Disney Plus. Like, are they going to be one service? Is it a bundle no. of three? No. Is it three distinct services? They're going, and it's international now. Like, they're doing it differently in different markets and kind of like playing around to see what works. And so I think that's what he's kind of dipping a toe in there and testing the waters. Like, he's, maybe, maybe, no. you know, they've got Disney and the Star Plus service in other parts of the world where they're just one service. You just do tubs, like what Hulu does with FX. So I think they're playing around with that idea, like what if Hulu was just a subsection of Disney Plus in the U.S. instead of a distinct service? All right, listen. 
um, in this case, Bob's wrong. The Disney Plus service should be PG-13 Max. You should never put an R-rated film on them. If that's exact, if that's what he's dipping his toe in. Hulu is where that stuff exists. If I want to watch Dope Sick about opioid and fentanyl, I don't want my six-year-olds having a tab for, you know, like fentanyl and opioid, uh, you know, stuff. Right. The like, one, the that's one not supposed to be on Disney+. Plus. Insane. Yeah, where it gets a little a little bit tricky now is like comic book stuff like, you know, the the Netflix Daredevil show or Punisher, pretty violent, but it makes sense to to house that with the rest of the comic book stuff that's on Disney Plus. So like there are there are areas of overlap like that. Deadpool shouldn't be there a little bit muddled. Deadpool, you should have to like age verify or something. Right. I I do not want my kids, you know, I don't want six to ten year olds all of a sudden getting deadpooled not cool that's it's way messy. too risque i'm telling you he's messing with it he's messing with it i would dump that stock that is no, not investment i'm advice. gonna buy more i'm gonna uh, that's not investment <laughs> either but i think i'm warner brothers disney i uh, warner brothers dc i think is like yeah uh, warner brothers and dc are one and the same and, and yeah they're doing great discovery and they're doing you know, great they're they're doing great they're making a lot of moves the notice say i should go short but i don't know how to do that <laughs> and then we also got the yeah, short got Peacock. We also I'm not got sophisticated like that. Oh yeah, we got Com- we got Peacock being like Comcast Q3 it. today. Uh, Peacock is basically stalled out around 15 million paid US subs, which is, you know, I mean it's it's a thing. It's not super great. They're they're they've also they're doing better on the ad supported side than they are the the paid side. But I think we're all mm-hmm. seeing right now like. They're they're really having a tough time convincing people, even when they've got popular shows. Just today, they released the trailer for the new Ryan Johnson, Natasha Leone show, Poker Face. Looks mm-hmm. great. Mystery of the week. Natasha Leone from, you know, uh, from, she just did uh, Russian Doll. Uh, she plays a woman who she has a supernatural ability to tell when someone is lying. And then it's going to be a mystery of the week where every week she solves a new murder investigation using her skills and every week is like guest star so Lil Rel Howery this week or Adrian Brody's involved in the case this week or whatever but nobody's gonna watch it because it's on Peacock that's true I think I signed up for Peacock for some reason there was some show on there and I probably still have it because I forgot to cancel that seems to be the Peacock's jam right now I really enjoyed the resort and they just had one called the resort recently that I thought was really good but I tell these I'll tell people you know I'll be like Hey, Girls 5 Eva, they just renewed it for season three. It's funny. It's the new Tita Fey show. But it's like, but if you don't have the service, what are you going to do? You're not going to go get it. Yeah. It's getting tough out there. It's getting tough out there for a stream. I think, I think uh, HBO Max is going to buy it. I think that's what, that's what happens mm. next. They buy Peacock. Be smart. And NBC, then put it I in. Think, J- I think Comcast oh, yeah, was- spins off NBC Universal and oh. WB Discovery buys it. Oh, and already- it was Yellowstone. By the way, that's what I signed. I signed up to watch oh, Yellowstone. Right. Yeah. Like More many of us, and then I have forgotten to cancel ever since. Right. Thanks, Jennifer. More consolidation. More yes. consolidation. Oh, well, and Warner Brothers Discovery, they've already kind of floated this idea that, you know, right now they're they're worried about this debt and and spinning things off and selling things off to pay down this debt. But once that's done, the next goal might be grabbing NBC Universal. It does make sense in the ter- in terms of, you know, all that great Peacock content could live somewhere where people would actually have a chance of seeing it. 
and it would be one fewer competitor to worry about in the US, you know, like you just grab those 15 million paid subs, take that off the table entirely. Is it better for those of us in the viewing public? You know, probably not, but <laughs> it's better for the companies. Anything we should be looking forward to this fall? I, I love the Black Adam. Anything we should watch this weekend? Okay. What's your recommendations? If I was going to watch yeah, something well, this what's weekend. Streaming? What's streaming this weekend? Yeah, what should I dip into? Because, you know, right. I can't keep up. So anything from the last 18 months, anything new, things that you've picked up on that you just said, you know what? Can't miss with this. Can't mess with this. You know uh, what I like. A few things on Netflix I would draw your attention to right now. Uh, the first one just debuted this past uh, uh, Wednesday, I want to say. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. This is like a new take on a Tales from the Crypt or an Alfred <gasps> Hitchcock Presents. Anthology, I love that. horror. Guillermo del Toro personally introduces every episode. He's in <gasps> like a suit and he's doing a Rod Serling and... All great horror filmmakers, Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook, David Pryor, who did The Empty Man, Vincenzo Natali, who did Cube, Anna Lilia Mirpour, who did Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. All great filmmakers. Uh, the first I watched the first three. Ah, they're all fantastic. And they're great I actors. I love in it too. GDT. Emory Abraham man, is in one. It's terrific. I love uh, GDT. And also for my we, nerds, The Peripheral is out. I was, it came out I was last gonna, week, but I haven't watched it yet. Was yes. that where you're going? Because... <gasps> Yeah, I, I, I was. That was going to be my, my time. My final one. Uh, I'm I'm three deep on the peripheral as well, and it's it's really good. It's really good so far. It's they're, good. They're oh, I'm a... so relieved. Ooh, thank goodness. Okay, wait. So we got the peripheral. I haven't read the book. Where the future, oh. which is based on that William Gibson book that I have ah. not read. So I'm I'm going just based on the show, but uh, it is Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy who produce. Oh, and I'm friends West with World. I'm friends with them. I'm friends with them. Yeah. Uh, they're executive producers on this, and mm. it does have a very Westworld vibe. Like if you Ooh. like Westworld, I feel like you would like this as well. I love that. Uh, Ooh, and then, you should definitely read the book after it's over too, because yeah, so I'm gonna check out the book for sure. So the book uh, and is the by last, Gibson. William, William Gibson. Gibson. Yeah. It's a 2014 oh. William Gibson novel that they're adapting. It's basically in like a near future. And Chloe Grace Moretz is this uh, video game, virtual reality video game tester. Like, she's great at video games. So these companies send her these new VR games to, like, play it and test out and give them feedback. And she tries this, this one game, and it's, like, very cutting-edge VR to where it doesn't just feel like a game. It feels like you are really in this, like, alternate world, playing through this, like, spy, very high-level conspiracy spy mission. But then... I don't want to give anything more away. Okay, good enough. Good enough. Layers I got enough. and layers of twists. It's not what it, that the world that she's going to is not what you think. And has Zuckerberg bought the rights to this yet to rename Meta into the peripheral? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's a, a, a company. company. He can't it's afford a, to anymore. Hey, oh, yeah. It's <laughs> all a right. So we got two scary take on a meta on a what a, the implications of a metaverse kind of world. Um, uh, and then the I, last you know thing I was going to say. The last thing I was going to say, there's another great um, an Australian crime drama on Netflix that was at, I think, Cannes earlier this year. Uh, the Stranger with Joel Edgerton uh, and Sean Harris, who's the bad guy from the Mission Impossible movies. He's Solomon Lane, Ethan yeah. Hunt's nemesis from like the Mission Impossible movies. A lot. Uh, it's, based on a, it's based on a true story from Australia, and it's about... Uh, I, I didn't even know this was a real term, but it's a, 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 a certain kind of sting operation called a Mr. Big Sting, where you convince a criminal that he's being recruited to join like a cartel. And then yes. the cartel is like, we want you to join our cartel. 
we don't care about what crimes you've done, but before we let you join, you have to tell us about your background as a criminal. So we make sure you don't get the whole organization in trouble. And that's how you trick the guy into confessing. Love it. So it's a, it's this real story about this time they pulled this very elaborate Mr. Big sting on this suspected murderer. Really fascinating stuff. All right. So just to be clear, we got the so peripheral, fun. which is on Amazon. That's Prime. on Amazon. That's Amazon Prime. Video. Then my guy, GDT, because I've yeah. interacted with him on the on the Twitter, the As social media one. site. He used to shop and at the video store where I work. Well, he <laughs> follows me and I've, I've had exchanges with him because I love his film so much. So shout out to GDT. I'm going to I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch the peripheral for per your fantastic. suggestion. Yeah. And then finally, we got a the stranger. Which, uh, this sounds great to me. This sounds to me a little bit like um, Sicario. Am I in the right zone? Yeah, well, I mean, not less action, more of a okay. more of a thriller, like a crime thriller, but, mm. but very much like a procedural, like step by step. Here's exactly how the cops sort of like found this guy mm. and like how they got, how they seduced him into Love really it. believing their story. But it's, ve- it's very well done. Really smart. You know, it reminds me of maybe Shot Caller. I don't know if you ever saw that, but that mm-hmm. was a fantastic, very hard to watch film. But I love Shot that, Caller. That kind of where it's like the criminal story, but it's also very deep about the characters and the emotions and the personalities. And like, yes, it's very much like that, like slow burn. And I just want to give one other suggestion. Uh, I watched House of Gucci. Have either of you seen House of Gucci? Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Watch the House of the Gucci movie. I enjoyed it very much. House of the Gucci. This film is so great. You got a Lady Gaga. She plays the Gucci movie. No, you don't understand the great performance of a Jared Leto with the prosthetics. He got so many prosthetics, and he's a bald bastard. Every and he's a freaking fantastic acting in a different film. Like you've got Pacino doing this very subtle. Very, very, you know, like, very, like, thoughtful work. You've got Adam Driver doing his own thing. You've got Lady Gaga playing like a vampire. You've got Jared Leto doing whatever he's doing. (laughs) It's great. The four main characters are over, I don't want to say overacting, but they're so in it as performances (laughs) that you literally, how this movie did not become Wolf of Wall Street level meme. This this yeah. is the Wolf it's of just Wall Street. People didn't see it. It's just they didn't see it. Didn't it's see it. so good. Lady Gaga is unbelievable. It's incredible. Um, yeah. The Star Wars kid, he's always great, and he is awesome Adam in this. Driver. Adam, Adam Driver. Driver, wonderful. And then and you've Jeremy got Irons, these, so great. Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons. amazing. Mm. And then you Pacino have these two bit parts. Jeremy Irons are both in this. Yeah. Then you I have feel like this is like a Pacino like and Jared Leto weed gummy situation right here. No, it sounds like no, 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 no. no. It is. <laughs> it's literally every Academy Award winning actor just being given free reign. Yeah, Ridley's holding crazy. no one back. He's just do your thing. Ridley's <laughs> like, you go. Do. You put you interpret on it. Just be you. Uh, it's also the needle drops are insane because it's it's set all across the 70s and 80s but ridley refuses Wonderful. to use a single song in the appropriate era so no. he'll be he'll put like heart of glass on so you'll be like okay well, we must be around 1984 and then it'll be like 1976 I'm like that's that's wrong like, i know that's wrong that's what? wrong <laughs> wow just everybody wow. watch this house of gucci is so good <laughs> across the boards and shot caller Absolutely amazing. There's all your deep cuts, folks. You got five. Shot caller, I've seen twice. 
um, like just the performance in it are unbelievable. Uh, all right, they have Ma- Molly. You have something you love right now, or anything no, God, you seen no. recently? I'm just trying to find time to watch TV. All I care about right now is the peripheral. I'm like a laser, really right. like a heat-seeking more, missile more, in the peripheral, and all I need is like three freaking hours of my life. I thought it was going to be more like cerebral, trippy, heady, and it is. Oh, but there's no, also a lot also. of act, like it's a it's an action thriller kind of thing. I mean, I read that book like three times. It's amazing. Wow, I'm so excited yeah. for this, and I've heard that the um that it's really really well done. So that's all yeah, I care about this job. weekend. That's all I care about. Nobody call me. We got this one Halloween party. Are Other they going to? Are they going to do a dev season three, or is it not over? Devs is done, I believe. Is I done. think Garland okay. Garland is totally done with that, and he's he's moved okay. on to other stuff. All right, there you go. All right, Thanks, everybody, Lon. that's it for Lon. Everybody, follow twitter.com slash l o n s, and always feel free on the Twitter to play stump the lawn. You tell him People two do. or three movies, restaurants, dishes, colors, <laughs> seasons, uh, countries to visit, uh, obscure political figures or <laughs> oh, philosophers, wow. and then he'll tell you a wow. movie or a streaming show you'll like. Yeah. Yeah, try it. Racing, I'll try racing tires. Start. Give, make the prompt racing tires recommendations, and you'll get some good <laughs> movies out of it. I guarantee. Yeah. Bye, bye, Lon. Right. Bye, Lon. All right, Lon is gone. Till next week. What's next, Molly? Next up, it's OK Boomer. Fantastic. OK, it wouldn't be Friday without OK Boomer. And Rachel reporting is here to tell us what she's uncovered in her intrepid adventures around the world. Da, 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 da. Oh, man, I came on too early. Now I'm going full like oh. 50s no, next newscast time, next time over we'll here. plan out the <laughs> intro. Um, so this week, I'm really excited for you guys to listen because this is actually somebody that we've mentioned on the podcast before on one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done when we talked about the Minions movie, um, oh, yeah. The Rise of Gru. We yeah. talked about Tommy Clark's Thread. And Tommy Clark is joining me today on OK Boomer. What's what's his deal? What does he... Uh... He looks so he's a head of social already. It looks like at yes. Triple Whale. He's head of social at Triple Whale, which which is a e-commerce operating system. I'm pretty big on Twitter, but he just has some of the best threads out there, and they've really caught my eye. And one of the most recent ones that caught my eye was when we were talking about Ghostwriters back on episode 1586. He had an awesome thread all about him not debunking, but maybe calling out some laws or errors that he saw in the ghost writing piece that came out from Business Insider. I'm um, talking about how some VCs were hiring people to ghost tweet for them. And yeah. it was a great thread. So I was like, he was the on. one who had the kind of like the back of the envelope math. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Oh, so I was like, Tommy, you got to come on. I also love his newsletter. It's really, really good. So you can definitely check that out um, in the link in his bio. But excited for everybody to listen to love Tommy. It. I feel like Twitter threads are a new they're a hit art. or mess. They're an art form. They are that, now, I, right? And if you hit it, uh-huh. do you hate them? You hate them, right? Yeah. But, I'm curious um, to hear you ask him. Like, so why are you ruining our <laughs> lives with these? Because it right? because Twitter hasn't figured out how to deal with them yet. Threads like, suck, just show it to me. Right? I don't have to. Cl- I have to click yeah. it, and then no, no, no. Yeah, they're not great. And then it's like one of those things where it's like once you find one that's gold, it is just so good. It's like it's going into my safe. Like I screenshot every tweet. Like we use it for the show. Well, most of them are just like clogging up my feed and I see like bits and pieces of them. So he's definitely mastered like that art, I guess, from a marketing standpoint too. But his data collection's great. How he's presenting it is easy to follow. Everything's super simple. Um, I kind of hope that I see more people present data like Tommy moving forward 
explaining like even more difficult to understand topics besides just like the Minions movie. Um, because I really like having the data broken up in a thread like that. Like I think how what he's using threads for is actually a great use case. It's better than like what I've learned like as a VC like 10 days in. Like I, I don't <laughs> love those, but I do love like the data point threads. Yeah, absolutely. The ones that really add value. I can't wait. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear uh, this art of the Twitter <laughs> thread with Tommy Clark. Here it is. Enjoy. Awesome. Thanks, Molly. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Tommy, for joining me today on this segment of OK Boomer. We are a huge fan of your threads here. Um, the first thread of yours that we actually featured in our podcast was way back when the Minions movie happened, uh, The Rise of Gru. Excuse me, that's like not the official title. But you had a great breakdown. And to be honest, I was following you before that Minions breakdown. Um, so when I was writing the show notes, I was super pumped that I was able to include that um, and knew pretty much since then that I wanted to have you on the show. But recently, another thread of yours caught my eye and kind of inspired me to reach out. And it was about the ghostwriters um, that are tweeting for venture capitalists, which again, we covered in the podcast already. So we don't have to dive into that. But again, you just had one of the best breakdowns that I saw on Twitter. Um, incredibly well-spoken social media expert. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for all the kind words and gassing me up like that. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm still I'm stoked to be here. I've been watching your guys' show for a minute and uh, really, really stoked to be here. Awesome. Well, to dive into it first, after doing some research, I thought social media and writing about social media was like your main number one thing. I follow your newsletter, The Social Files or Social Files. Um, I know you're a creator at Workweek and I believe that newsletter is under that umbrella. But after reading your bio and checking out your header, uh, I realized that you're head of social. Uh, triple whale. Um, can you explain to everybody what triple whale is? And then we can dive into all the social media stuff. Yeah. So the main goal of triple whale, it's a e-commerce SaaS company and we help, um, e-commerce companies, D2C brands get accurate data and use their data to scale more confidently, especially after iOS 14.5. Apple kind of introduced these rules that made advertising a lot more difficult and it made getting accurate data a lot more difficult. So one of, the, one of our main products right now is a, a pixel that helps these brands get accurate data. And it, we consolidate all this advertising data from Facebook, TikTok, Snap, whatever platforms are advertising on into like a really easy to understand and consume dashboard, which makes it easy to log in, see your data, you know, it's accurate. So you can actually make good advertising decisions and inform your marketing with it. That's great. I think one of the coolest things people can do is, um, you know, they always say you can't manage what you don't measure. So tracking data is always important, but making sure that data is clean and easily understandable is like a whole nother story. I find that a lot of times people collect data and don't really know what it means. So triple whale seems like a really useful tool. Awesome for you doing that. But that's not even what I wanted to have you on today to talk about. I want to hear everything about the social media space and your thoughts on it. So first things first, social files. How did you get into social media marketing? Because when I'm reading it, it doesn't even sound so you're I think you're around the same age as me, maybe like a grade below me in college, I think I graduated maybe a year below. Um, and you just sound like you have been doing this for years and years and years. How did you become such an expert in the social media space? It's super roundabout. So just to give you some context, I, I graduated from college last year in December. When I first got to college, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Like I was pre-med. That was the goal. I had that plan set. 
obviously it didn't happen. Now I get paid to make memes for a living and I'm much happier that way. But when I was doing that, I was also playing basketball um, for my first year and a half in college. And during that, I got super into health and fitness and decided to switch my major, switched to nutrition science, transferred schools to Cal Poly. And when I did that, I also started up this like fitness coaching side hustle and I had to get clients. So I started an Instagram account and this whole like fitness Instagram account. And that was my first, that, that was like my gateway into content creation. And I did that for about two-ish years until kind of during the pandemic, mid-2020 is when I pivoted fully into marketing because I realized that I actually enjoyed the process of creating content, figuring out how to get clients more than I actually enjoyed the whole like fitness side of it. Um, so over that two-year period, just created a lot of really bad content until it started to not be so bad anymore and got better at it. Um, and then it got to a point, like I said, where I enjoyed the content creation and marketing side of it more than I enjoyed the actual fitness coaching side of it. So then pivoted into marketing, got a part-time job for a company in that industry while I was still in school, did that for another year. One of my friends that I met in that health and fitness space. Her name's Kendall. She referred me to a freelance position more in this e-com D2C like media world. And I took that position during my last few months in school. When I graduated, was looking for a full-time job. They weren't ready to bring me on full-time at the moment, just based on resources. My current CMO slid in my DMs. All this time, I've been creating content on Twitter. So I've been tweeting about marketing, sharing my thoughts, documenting what I've believed to be true about social. Um, my current CMO, Raba, saw my work with D2C Newsletter, saw my tweets, slid in my DMs. We hopped on like a 15-minute Zoom call and that was my interview process. So very thankful I didn't have to go through like applying to 100 different jobs like most college graduates do. So that was a, a really interesting experience. And that's how I landed in the triple whale role. And then I've been creating content around marketing and sharing my thoughts on it for about two and a half years. Um, and then the newsletter social files became like officially social files and under work week late June of this year. But I've been more or less writing a newsletter, albeit to not very many subs up until recently, okay. uh, for about a year and a half, two years. Gotcha. So I didn't uh, subscribe to your newsletter until you were under work week. Um, so that is really cool. And did you start off that newsletter over on Substack? Was it like weekly? Yeah. So first it was Substack and then I switched over to Beehive. And then now it's not on Beehive anymore, but not because of the platform. It's just because of like Underwork Week. We use a certain ESP and it is what it is. Um, but big fan of what the, the guys at Beehive are building. Got you. So I was just about to say, which one do you prefer? We, um, I have actually reached out to the Beehive team. If you yeah. know any of them that want to come on, I would love to talk because I'm fascinated by, um, I don't know if this is necessarily the resurgence of newsletters. I don't want to say that. Um, maybe this is just because when I was in university, the only newsletter I actually read was Morning Brew. So it's cool seeing Beehive come from the Morning Brew team. But it seems like everybody and their freaking dog is writing a newsletter. And I love it. I'm a huge newsletter junkie. I know um, that's very... Ama that might be a hot take. I know a lot of people are like, you don't need more podcasts on the world. We don't need more newsletters. I literally... I have this one platform. Um, I believe it's called just... Let me check on Twitter really quickly because I actually just tweeted at them. I used to use this one platform called Feedly, right? Okay. All the um, newsletters that I subscribe to, I could categorize in this different like uh, platform. So it was nice, like not clogging up my inbox, um, being able to organize them by sector. I loved 
Um, but it is, it, you have to pay for it monthly. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I don't know about that one. So I'm experimenting on different platforms. And the platform I'm using now is called newsletters, but it's spelled kind of okay. weird. And basically it takes all my newsletters, creates another like email address. And I just go to this website. It's basically like a different RSS feed. So it doesn't, um, you know, just jam up my, my normal inbox. Um, which is already a little bit nuts to organize, I'm sure, um, for you the same way. So here it is. Newsletters app. Um, okay, it just has two S's and app, newsletters app, and that is its Twitter name. I highly recommend anybody that's looking to like clean out their inbox to check that out. Something that I've noticed is since like organizing and going through like all my newsletters is I don't think a lot of people are subscribed to some of the newsletters I'm subscribed to because a ton of them are honestly written by my friends. And I think my friends are industry experts. Um, but how can these people scale their newsletters? And one of them I want to shout out, it's called Restaurant Adjacent by my friend Paul. Wonderful newsletter. He spends like, he, like, he is going to grad school in Columbia, such a good writer, has literally worked in the restaurant industry, like as uh, literally just like a horrible position, like in the you know, back in, like, the kitchen where he has, like, horror stories. So hearing his, like, perspective on the restaurant industry and, like, the stuff adjacent is so cool. But the newsletter isn't growing. What what advice do you have? Sorry for that ramble, yeah, I mean, by I, the I way. Think, no, you're good. I think that's where social comes into comes into play. Okay. Um, for me, I like using Twitter and LinkedIn. I gravitate a lot towards writing. So, I mean, obviously, social can include a lot of different things like TikTok and now there's a lot of short-form video. I'm honestly not a big fan of creating content in that medium. I just don't enjoy it. So I focus more on writing. That's part of the reason why I have a, a newsletter. But for that type of content, I like Twitter and LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn right now in terms of organic reach oh, is gosh. just absurd. Like it's very, very... Okay. I, I post on LinkedIn pretty consistently. And I like to think my content's good, but it's not like... Some of it's not that crazy and just consistently growth just keeps happening week over week and, and posts keep popping off. So. I think if you're starting from scratch, LinkedIn is very promising. Like literally like posts Twitter. on LinkedIn or like going through the LinkedIn newsletter feature? Oh, posts. Yeah, posts. I don't use okay. the newsletter feature. Um, just straight LinkedIn posts. But I think that the main theme there to answer your question, as far as growing the newsletter, you need to create demand on other platforms and funnel that to the email because there's no discovery. Like if you're just writing an email, it could be amazing, but no one's seeing it unless they're already signed up. Totally. And to grow, you're pretty much relying on your current readers to share it. Which some of them might. And if your newsletter is really good, referrals will happen. But I think if the goal is to really scale, you want to be on these other platforms that have the discoverability, become known on these platforms, get your content out there, your ideas out there, and provide enough value there that then someone will want to go read your thoughts in a longer form format in your newsletter. So I found your newsletter from Twitter. So this totally makes sense. I believe I actually did find it from one of your threads. I think it was like at the bottom at one of your threads. Yeah. As somebody that hates threads, I'm a thread hater. I'm so oh, sorry for wreaking hate them, but I like yours. What makes a good thread? Can you please explain why I like them? I I feel um I specifically I hate the ones written by I'm so sorry to target an audience investors or other like people in venture capital <laughs> explaining things. I no, hate you them. mean you mean you mean oh. written by ghostwriters writing for written by ghostwriters. I hate I don't know why. Because <laughs> I've definitely done those before as well, like on my own platform, like done the threads. And I look at them and I'm like, yo, these are ugly. They're unorganized. Nobody like physically they don't get a ton of engagement. How are you getting these like high engagement threads? I love them. Yeah. One, I appreciate that. That's kind of the vibe I'm going for for my threads because I okay. don't 
I don't, I don't want to say I don't like threads. I, I love threads when they're good, but I just can't stand, like you said, the, the generic, like here are 21 websites that feel illegal to know and 10 different accounts use that same exact hook and it just becomes super played out. I think the biggest thing is like, just make the threads valuable. Make it about like a really compelling topic that you're actually an expert in instead of just copy pasting yeah. stuff from Wikipedia or doing things because you see it work for other people. Any thread that I write, I try to make it about a topic that's relevant and that someone will, someone reading this will actually get something valuable out of it versus, oh, I know this is a format that does well. So let me game the algorithm and just try to grow an audience at all costs. Because if you do that, it might work. And you see it work for a lot of accounts where it's like they get these crazy engagement threads, but the engagement isn't from people that are going to buy from them or want to hear their thoughts or actually be invested in them long term. So for me, it's just write about stuff that I have experience in that I consider myself, I don't want to say an expert, but I know my stuff when it comes to social. So I feel confident writing about that. And just trying to add value is as cheesy and cliche as that is, it's true. Got you. And something that's interesting about your background that I've noticed, and before we even hopped on this recording, I put two and two together. You said that you um, went to school in California or from California, but you currently live in Texas. And a yeah. um, friend of the pod, Danny Miranda, I know is also moving to Austin. Um, it seems like a pretty big place for people our age to being like flocking to. It's super fun city. I love Austin. Yeah. Um, and something I've noticed also that's similar between you and Danny is that start with fitness and Instagram. I feel like Instagram super easy to plateau on. You saw a brand and they were plateauing over on that platform. What advice would you have? Yeah, Instagram's tough right now. Um, I think if, well, one, if I was starting from scratch, I probably wouldn't build an Instagram account from scratch just because it takes so much work relative to other platforms. If I already had an Instagram presence and I ran into a plateau, but I wanted to keep growing, I would lean into short form video content, most likely. At least start including it if you aren't already. I don't think you have to pivot all the way to reels, but Instagram is literally paying people to post reels and inflating metrics and really, really incentivizing it because they want to catch up to TikTok. They want to make sure that TikTok doesn't win that race. I don't know how that's going to go for them, especially since Zuck apparently spent absurd amounts of money on the metaverse (laughs) this past year. So that'll be interesting. But I think if I was on Instagram, wanted to break a plateau, I would lean more into short form video content and really make sure that was a core part of my content strategy. I don't think you need to ditch all other types of content because that goes back to what we're talking about with the threads. Yeah, just because something might work for the algorithm. And you might be able to get more engagement or whatever in the short term doesn't mean it's the best play for your brand in the long term. But you do want to play into what's working to an extent like with my threads, like I thre- I write threads because I know they'll do well. Yeah. And you do certain things in those threads because you know it'll help with the algorithm. So there's this balance of flowing with what's working, but also staying true to your brand. But to answer your question succinctly, I would lean more into short-form video content if I was trying to break a plateau on Instagram. How do you know what's going to do well in the algorithm over on Twitter? I um, started tweeting at the start of this year. I wasn't a super big active person on Twitter. I actually didn't put my job title or anything to do with our podcast, which is like a verified account in my um, bio until a few months ago. Um, And I noticed before that, like, I know that wasn't the only thing that attributed to my growth in followers, which I don't have that many. 
But I noticed the more I tweeted, the more followers I got. Um, And I'm not sure if it's like a volume thing um, necessarily over there. Besides tweeting a lot, what other advice do you have if somebody like me or somebody that doesn't necessarily have an account that's tied to a brand? Like I'm not the This Week in Startups account. How could like a founder, for example, grow their account? Yeah, I think a really underrated aspect of Twitter growth is relationship building. And like actually becoming friends with dope people. And because I think what happens and what happened with me was I was posting a lot of content. I've been posting content for four years in marketing, probably for two, two and a half years. And what happened is early on, you post a lot of really good stuff and no one really engages with it. Maybe you get a few likes here and there. Yeah. Kind of just a grind. But then one person sees your stuff that also has like a bigger audience and they see it and they're like, oh, this kid writes some dope stuff. I actually want to support him and engage and share and, and kind of lift him up too or lift her up too. And that kind of takes you to like a new level where it's like you have this relationship where they're sharing their, this person is sharing your content and you start building relationship, relationships with bigger and bigger people and more notable and notable people. It's, assuming you're providing value and you know what you're talking about, you'll start to build all these really cool relationships and you just want to support each other. So if someone sees a thread that I put out, they'll support it or retweet it just because like we're actually friends and like we have a relationship and we've added value to each other's lives. I think that's a really underrated part. And it's not even, that's not about gaming the algorithm. That's just about being a good person and like adding value to people in the industry and building those relationships over the long term. And I think that's a really underrated part of gaining momentum on these social platforms. But the weird part is you can't really approach like you don't want to approach that from the perspective of, oh, I want to grow on Twitter. So I'm going to connect with these people. It's like, no, you just want to connect with dope people. And eventually, it might turn into something. Yeah, gotcha. That's so interesting. Seeing that you um, I saw like one of where I was on your Twitter page that you've been tweeting since 2019. So that's explains a lot. Seeing how consistent you are, too, I think is really interesting. Um, uh, One debate that I see a lot on all social media platforms is that quality versus quantity topic. And I've talked about it to a few other people that are interested in the social media space on the podcast before, including Danny. Um, If you were going to pick between the two, which one would you gravitate toward and why? This is such a cop-out answer, but I don't think you can... I think both are very, very (laughs) important. To give a little more nuance there... I think early on, quantity is very important because you don't know what's going to work. You don't know what your audience resonates with. You don't know what type of content you enjoy creating. You don't know what's going to hit. But once you start to understand the topics and the ideas that work well, then you can be a little bit more selective. And then I think it becomes a bit more important to focus on quality. Because especially as you grow, if you're trying to be a content creator, you're trying to have this online presence. It's exhausting. And yeah, maybe you might be able to sprint for two weeks or a month with this insane amount of content, but you're going to burn out. Yeah. So I think the the golden rule and kind of what I would keep in mind is post as much quantity as you can while maintaining a certain level of quality and okay. not burning out. Because if you start posting too much, again, you might be able to sprint for a short period of time, but you're going to burn out. You're going to fall off. And if you fall off and stop posting, well, now you're kind of screwed. Yeah. But if you don't post enough if you're like being a perfectionist or you're too scared to post because you're not a, you're you're afraid that someone's going to be a hater or it's not going to hit or you're not going to get any likes well then you're not going to have any luck either so it's this constant balance i think early on quantity matters a bit more because you just need to get yourself out there 
But as you start to get better at what you do, get better at content creation, get better at understanding trends and best practices on these platforms, then you can be a little bit more selective with with quality. But it's it's this constant dance, this constant balance. I don't think anyone ha- really has it truly figured out. Uh, but yeah, that would be my my take there. Yeah, I think the two people that I've had on the podcast that are like on polar opposites of the side, at least from like the outside in, is Danny. As we said again, I think Danny's a totally yeah. a quantity guy. Not that all this stuff isn't absolutely great quality, but the other compared yeah. to the other person I'm talking about, Nate O'Brien, who um, produces YouTube videos maybe once a month, and they are yeah. just like these insane high quality YouTube videos. Um, so that's always something that I think about because those are two creators that I look to up to quite a lot. Um, and in between there, there are two other creators that we've had on the podcast. If anybody's interested in listening to other OK Boomer segments. Uh, on the middle spectrum would probably be Jules Turpak. Um, amazing stuff, super high quality, pretty consistent. And another YouTuber, Taylor Bell, who again, I don't know if it's necessarily weekly content, but her, her cuts and things like that, like she's obviously putting a lot of time and effort, but she's not clipping each one down like Danny is making a ton of TikToks after them. So really cool to see everybody who's joined me on the podcast and whose professions have been, you know, content creation, like span this quality versus quantity um spectrum that there is and i know this week in startups we're trying to up our tiktok game so if anybody has any advice or anything that you think we should be posting on the tiktok um right now we're like resulting in clipping parts of the show but i think it would be funny for jason or molly to like make tiktok sometime i don't know if they'd want to but that was yeah. uh that's something i want to fly by them but thank you so much for coming on the podcast if people wanted to go find you over on Twitter or on LinkedIn or wherever you're most active, where can they find you? Yeah, I would say I'm most active day to day. I spend too much time on Twitter. So if you want to get in touch with me, probably over there, just at T yeah. Clark Media. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. A lot of times, the content on both those platforms that I post is very similar. I'll just repurpose. It just makes okay. my life easier. But what schedule? Wherever... Do you use a scheduler? Um, depends. So okay. I'll go back and forth. If I'm really on top of my stuff, I'll schedule out some tweets in advance. But lately, really haven't been because I've been just all over the place with work cool. and, and my own content. So it's yeah. kind of just on the fly. I find that the on the fly stuff tends to perform better. Oh, 100%. Um, just because it's like stuff that like you're actually feeling and I don't know, it just hits different. I don't, I, I don't that's one of those things where it's hard <laughs> to explain. But yeah, um, the on the fly stuff tends to do pretty well. But Twitter, most active on there. LinkedIn also post some stuff over there. And then obviously have the newsletter. And I would say those are the, those are the, the three main places where I put out content right now. Awesome. Can't wait to check it out. And next time in Austin, I'm going to have to get a Torchy's Taco with you and Danny. Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, thanks so much.
Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. What a great week. And it's not over yet. Sunday is VC Sunday school, we do a really deep dive uh, into just how climate tech seems to be still on fire and the valuations are still high. And how should a venture capitalist like Molly is now deal with an overheated market in a recession slash down market and chaos? How do you deal with that? If everybody's willing to overpay for startups? What's the right thing to do as a capital allocator? We also talk about warrants, which are showing up more and more as people do down rounds, quasi down rounds. And then Molly has another amazing climate interview. This is another journalist turned investor, a trend that's been occurring. So we'll see you on Sunday for a nice walk. You do your Peloton, you you go get some brunch, get your eggs Benedict, Florentine, whatever your jam is, listen to the show. And we'll be back on Monday as well. And then next week, I'm going to talk about Twitter. I've been on a little bit of a gag order, as you might have seen with legal issues going on, but it looks like the uh, bird is free. And I can talk about it all next week on This Week in Startups.